Hey, good morning, Ambassador Church. Abel here, as always. It's good to be with you. Uh, Thank you for joining us online and just being faithful to our church. Hey, before we get started in our message, um, as you know, on Tuesday is Election Day. Um, And as per usual, there's a lot of anxiety going around. There's stress. Depending on which side you are, you're worried that the wrong candidate is going to be elected. Uh, But I wanted to just take a moment and remind us, and if you've been in the church a long time, you've heard this probably every four years, um, but our hope is not in our president. Our hope is not even in our country. Our hope is in the Lord, right? And that our focus in life should not be that we have the right uh, leader that makes us prosperous and we have the right values, but our, our goal in life and hope and motivation should be that the name of Jesus is proclaimed in our nation, in our world. That's our mission as believers. And so what that does is that freezes up that even if the wrong person gets elected or even if the right person gets elected in our opinion, um, what it does is our focus is still unchanged. Our focus is still, hey, even if prosperity goes, even if prosperity comes, I want Jesus' name to be proclaimed and his gospel to be proclaimed. Let me just read this passage in Psalm 146 before we get started. It says this, do not put your trust in princes in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Get this. It says, blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, their God. So I hope as a church that our focus this week uh, could be the name of Jesus. And our prayer would be, God, your will be done You know, I'm still going to vote. I'm still going to have an opinion. But Lord, ultimately, you are sovereign. You are in control. And may your mission go out throughout the earth through your church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for your word. Lord, I thank you for our church, for your ever-present grace in this world. Lord, I ask that as we continue our series in the book of Jonah, that you would speak boldly. Lord, that you would proclaim your goodness and your grace and that you are worthy to be praised and worthy to be obeyed. Father, I ask uh, that you prepare our hearts this morning, uh, Lord, that whatever distractions are going on, God, that we would be focused upon you, that this time would be set apart to hear you speak in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So we've all heard this word before, if you've been in a church, or if you've heard Christian music, you've heard the word grace. In fact, you probably hear it all the time, hopefully in your church, it's, it's said all the time. And you, you might even have experienced that person at your church that comes up to you, and they're always talking about how God is so gracious to them, and everything's going so wonderful, and they're like, oh, God has been so gracious. And, but the thing is, maybe you're hearing that, or you hear this word, or you hear that person, and your response is, you know, good for you that God's been gracious, but I just got a tax audit. I owe 15 grand, and I'm so broke now, i got to sell my kid's parakeet to pay the bills. You know, life's tough. You know, it it doesn't feel like God's that gracious. You ever been there? When things are hard, you're like, where's the grace of God? Or maybe it's things aren't so hard. Maybe things are going good, but, but you're not focused on the grace of God. You're focused on everything else. And you forget about it entirely. 
Or maybe you've heard the word, but you, you don't even necessarily know exactly what it means or how it fits into our lives. Well, my heart this morning is that we see two things. We see God's pursuit of grace in our world, in our lives, but we would also leave here knowing, hey, this is how I can get that grace. This is how I can receive that grace. This is how I can pursue that grace in my life. And we're going to see that through Jonah. As you know, we've been going through the book of Jonah. We've seen in chapter one that God called Jonah to preach to Nineveh, to preach repentance and grace. Um, Jonah refuses. He gets on a ship. Um, God in his grace brings a storm, which reminds Jonah of his rebellion. And then one thing leads to another. Jonah is thrown overboard into the ocean pretty much to die. And that's where our story picks up. You know, a lot of us, if you read the story, it would kind of make sense if the story ended there, right? God called someone to do something. They disobey. God punishes, punishes them. They go overboard. They die. Well, that's justice. But we see that the story doesn't end there. We're going to see the most beautiful picture of grace through Jonah this morning. Um, so if you have a Bible, open up to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 17. We're going to read all the way into chapter 2. Uh, so Jonah 1, 17, it says this. And this is kind of the part of Jonah that everybody thinks of that's famous for. Um, but we're actually not going to focus entirely on this thing for, for the majority of our time. But it says Jonah 1, 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Before we read on, I just want to point that out, that it's not like Jonah fell into the water and randomly this whale or fish swallowed him because it was hungry. No, it says God provided the fish. And we're going to see later that that's actually God's gracious act of salvation for Jonah. But you ever wonder, like, why in the world... Was it this? And I wonder if Jonah, when he's in the belly of the well, like he was like, okay, God, I appreciate that you saved me from drowning. I understand that I was in sin, but really a fish. I mean, couldn't it have been like a little motorboat, you know, goes by and they pull it. Oh, Hey, you know, here's a LaCroix or something like that. Some sunscreen. Um, God, did it have to be this? You know, it, it's just imagine the scenario. But you see, Jonah was drastically and radically running away from God. And in the same way in our lives, when we radically and drastically run away from God, God sometimes in a radical way gets our attention or in a radical way pursues us. Uh, but that's not the emphasis this morning. Stay with me as we read uh, the rest. So he's in the belly of the fish. This is the part it's famous for. But then in chapter 2 in verse 1, it says this. Jonah says, In my distress... I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. The current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. So what's Jonah saying? He's like, God, you are the one that threw me overboard. You're the one that caused the storm. You're the one that brought the fish. And, and it's funny because the tone you think Jonah would have is, God, again, why? Like, God, you're not being gracious. This is awful. You know, this isn't a good scenario. Look, look, look at what else he says there. He says, yet I will look again to your holy temple. And then he goes, and gone, the engulfing waters threaten me. 
the deep surrounded me. Get this. He says, seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountain. I sank down. You can see this picture. You know, I'm not, I'm not a beach guy in any way. I'm sorry if I offended you. My wife loves the beach, but ever since I was a kid, I mean, it's just always been a bad experience. I don't like sand. I don't like walking through, you know, it burns your feet. Then I always had this traumatic experience where I take off my shirt at the beach and everyone would hide their face. He's so white and pasty, you know, and then I was insecure. And then my mom would make me lather myself with sunscreen. And no matter how much I put on, I still got like a third degree burn every time I go to the ocean. Um, but then you go in the water and I don't understand this. I mean, especially some of the beaches here, we go in the water and swim. You don't don't know what's under there. You'd pull your leg out and somebody else's band-aid is on your leg, you know, or you don't have diapers floating by. But the worst, right, is when you get this slimy, you don't know if it's sewage from the dump, but if you get seaweed on your leg, I, I'm just not, I'm not a beach guy. Again, I, I, I'm sorry, um, but it's just not my thing. But get, Jonah's like, he's in it. He's drowning. He's at the bottom of the ocean kind of experience. Seaweed is wrapped around him. head. It's not looking good. He says this near the end. He says, the earth barred me in forever. And going back, he said, I was banished from your sight. So Jonah, he said, hey, the situation is dire. In fact, he came to a point where he's like, I'm going to die. But I'm not, I'm not just going to die, but I'm separated from my God. I'm banished from his sight. There's a problem. There's this breach in the relationship. So it's a two-part thing. Yeah, I'm going to die, but at the same time, I'm not right with God. You know, everybody in those near-death experiences, you see people that aren't even Christian, right? But right before, if they know they're going to die, oftentimes they cry out to God because they want to be right with God out of fear of like, okay, I don't want to die. I know, I, I, I want to be right. And Jonah's here. I'm dying and I'm not okay. But look at what he says. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. He's not blaming God. He's not making excuses. He's not saying, God, you know, this is messed up, right? The Ninevites are terrible. It was kind of a, you know, that, that, that was a kind of a punk move to make me do that. I mean, anyone would have run, right? And, and then I'm on the ship. You bring the storm. You throw me over. I, I like, God, why would you do this instead? He's saying, God, you saved me. You see, Jonah's rebellion brought his destruction. And what he's doing now is he's acknowledging that. He's saying, it's on me. God, I was banished from your sight because I messed up. He's not blaming God. He's saying, hey, the problem lies with me. I'm not good. In fact, I'm deserving of your wrath. I was barred down under the water by you because I was unfaithful. You see, when it comes to God's grace, the first step for any human being to receive that grace is realizing you need it or realizing you're not okay. Realizing that you and yourself are not good. And this is so countercultural, is it not? You know, our, our culture today, the big thing is, hey, you're good, right? Everybody's a good person. You know, yeah, people make mistakes, but, but overall, you're good. And that, that, that phrase, everybody makes mistakes, is really a phrase of, you're good. You know, I mean, a little mistake, it doesn't make you a bad person. You're, you're good. And, and we, we're all about this. 
You know, you ever been to the doctor before and, and you know, the, the worst part about it is they take you up to that scale, they make you take off your shoes and you're like, oh man, my feet might stink or my socks don't match. You have to step up on the thing and the thing starts tottering and they tick, 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 you know, the little bar. And I always feel like they take, they, they just write down your weight too quick. You're like, hey, it was still moving. You're putting my weight a little higher. You know, this jacket weighs a lot, you know, and then the doctor, they sit you down and say, yep, uh-huh. Your BMI, your uh, body mass index, a little up there. Not good. Not good. Maybe a little KFC, a little less, right? And, and, and it's always that, like, I don't like you right now, right? Or the doctor says, hey, those cigarettes, not good. Not good, right? You, you know, what you're doing is not good. I, I have a, a good friend of mine who is a physician or a doctor, a family practice, and uh, he'll say that there's people that literally come and they're wanting more opioids, right? They're wanting more pain meds. And I'll look at their record and say, hey, you know what? Um, these pain meds, you really could have stopped taking them a year ago and you're taking too much, so I'm not going to approve more of this. And they'll literally say, they'll get angry at him and then go to another doctor who tells them they're okay and they don't have a problem. And I think a lot of us go through life like this. I am good. I don't have a problem. And we avoid people who tell us we have a problem. Right? I mean, at churches, you know, the idea of church discipline, you ever hear that or seen that? It's, it seems so like, whoa, like I go to church so my pastor can pat me on the back and say, oh, hey, you're good. Jesus loves you. You know, I'll be there when your dog is dying and comfort you. But the whole thing about Someone saying, hey, repent, there's sin, or there's a problem. You ever been in a relationship with someone or friendship with someone, and they're telling you, they're like, yeah, you know, I know I've had 32 relationships the last five years, but this is the one, right? This is the one, and you want to say, hey, I think there's a problem that you're seeking something in these relationships, and you always go to bad guys, or you want to say it, but you don't want to hurt them because they're very excited. It's romance in the air. It's Christmas time. They're watching Elf, but you avoid saying the right thing because you feel like it's more loving just to tell them what they want to hear, but guess what? It's not loving to tell someone they're good when they're not good. It's not loving to tell the alcoholic they don't have a problem when they have a problem. It's not loving to tell the addict they don't have a problem when they have it. It's not loving or caring of a doctor to say you are okay when you have a problem just to make them feel good. But the good news is we have a God who understands love outside of our culture and is bold enough and loving enough and gracious enough to step into our lives and say, hey, you're not okay. Sometimes in radical ways. With Jonah, it took a storm, took throwing him over a boat, took a fish, took seaweed around his head. Jonah, look at me. You're not okay. You see, God pursues us by telling us we're broken. The word of God is such a gift because the word of God, when we read it, it's like this picture of this is what holiness is. This is the standard of God. And here is me. And I'm nowhere near that. You know, the picture in scripture in the throne room of God, you read in Revelation that there's these four living creatures that all they do all day long is say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And everybody that's ever seen the presence of God before, they fall down on their face in fear and awe because they realize, wow, God is so good. He's so holy. He's so just and pure. 
And I'm not that. I have a problem. And Jonah says he realizes, God, I've been banished from your sight because I'm unworthy. This is the whole gospel, is it not? I mean, look at Jesus. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What Jesus is saying is, hey, I can't give grace. I can't give help to people who don't want it or don't see the need. The doctor can't help you if you don't realize you're sick and you need his help. This is the gospel. Uh, David in Psalm 51, stay with me if you can. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Let me ask you this. If you're a Christian this morning, do you remember the moment you were saved? Or the period of time when God was working in your heart? Remember the moment when you realized you weren't good? That moment when the Holy Spirit came in and said, hey, there's sin in your life and there's a problem and God is holy and you're not holy. Something is wrong. You see, that's actually a precious gift from God that he opens our eyes through his word, through his spirit and pursues us, graciously pursues us enough to say, hey, you have a problem. But the good thing about God is it doesn't stop there. And that's what we're going to read on. But for our first thing this morning is, do you know you need God's grace? You know, by definition, grace is getting what you do not deserve. But I think for some of us, we feel like we deserve it. We feel like we're worthy of it. And Jonah is at a place where he's realizing, I don't deserve grace. I deserve this punishment of death in the ocean. But it doesn't stop there. Stay with me. Let's read on to Jonah 2, verse 7. It says this, When my life was ebbing away, basically dying, drowning, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. You see, Jonah here, he's not trying to save himself anymore. He's not running He's not, you know, I imagine in the beginning, like he's in the water, the boat goes, he's like, okay, I'm going to tread water like Navy SEALs can do it. I'm going to tread. I'm going to, you know, hope, do I smell sunscreen? Maybe there's a beach or an island or something or a raft or a buoy. You know, he's treading water, but eventually as he gets exhausted, he begins to drown. He begins to realize there's nowhere to turn but one place. And that's my God. I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to your holy temple. You see, Sarah and I, years ago, had a friend. We were doing this Bible study. And she was a younger girl, early 20s. And uh, her dad, she, it was just her and her dad that lived together. And uh, her dad was, was getting up there and wasn't uh, quite as with it um, as he used to be. And uh, they had gone to the doctors. And the doctors did, ran some tests. And they said, hey, you have cancer. But the good news is, is yes, you have cancer, but we can fix it. We caught it early with a little bit of chemotherapy and some treatment. We'll knock this thing out. It's very likely that you'll be okay. So they come home and get this. The daughter looks at her dad and says, Dad, you're not doing chemotherapy. You're not going to listen to those doctors. 
We are going to fix this ourselves. I'm going to get some vegetables, and this is what's going to get rid of your cancer. She started dicing up some cucumbers, some tomato, right, some onions. Then she was like, we're going to get some essential mango oil and rub it on your earlobes. You know, we're going to go all the natural path, and that's going to heal you, Dad. We're not going to do the chemotherapy. Year goes by. There, and she keeps saying, yeah, he's getting better. He's getting better. Year and a half goes by, he gets weaker and weaker. He begins to cough up blood every day. He can hardly walk. We're talking to her and we're begging her, hey, hey, like, I know you think you can save your dad. I know you think this is the right path, right? You know, I understand for some people, praise God, you know, the vegetables and all that stuff works. But with your dad, it's not working. She's like, nope. It is. It is. It is. We are not going to the doctors. Eventually he died. You see, a lot of us, we realize there's a problem. We realize there's sin in our life. We realize the depravity, but we don't run to God. You know, the early Catholic church, certain sections of it, said, hey, you know what? You realize you're sinful. That's true. You're broken. You're separated from God. That's true. You want to know how you fix it? You hurt yourself. You physically harm your body to punish yourself so God's okay with you because then you'll be all right because you're punishing yourself. You don't have to eventually experience the punishment of God. And I think for a lot of us today, we do that. I'm a loser. God, I'm no good. I'm not going to pray to you because you don't want to hear from me anyway. And Satan's right there in our ear saying, yeah, you are a loser. You are a screw up. Why can't you get your act together? Don't go to God. And then there's those of us who we realize, you know, yeah, I'm bad. I'm not good. But what I'm going to try to do is counteract it with good things. You know, I'm going to walk that little old lady across the street I'm going to donate to the puppies in Africa, right? The little dogs that are going extinct. You know, I'm going to do all these good deeds and then God will be happy with me. Those are both the wrong way. You see, the word of God says there's one way to salvation. and That's found in Jesus Christ. And Jonah gets that. Jesus hadn't come, died and risen again yet. So what does he say? Look at the language he used. Stay with me. He says, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Why is he saying temple? I mean, I don't know about you, but like if you were drowning over in Santa Monica and you're, you're going to seaweeds around your face, like I don't think your first mindset, you know, that Anaheim campus, it's just so beautiful. They got some cactuses on the side there, the little dumpster with cinder block or that campus in Brea, you know, they got the nice little elevator. That's not what Jonah, that's not what Jonah's doing here. When he's saying the temple, he's talking about the presence of God. You see, before Jesus came, if you wanted to be close to the presence of God, it's found in the temple. And what do they do in the temple? They offer sacrifices. Offer sacrifices for what? Sin. You see, back in the day, it wasn't as simple as saying, God, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Cleanse me, and I want to be forgiven by you. It was, hey, there's a problem. i got to fix it. I got to go to God, to his temple for his grace. So what you do is you take an animal, you take uh, a sheep or a goat or calf, 
You'd give it to the priest. You'd say, hey, this is what I've done wrong. And the priest would take it into the temple above the Ark of the Covenant that had the Ten Commandments of which you broke. And he would shed the blood of that animal and sprinkle it in representation of God is going to make an ultimate sacrifice one day. But for right now, this represents that you messed up and a price has to be paid. You see, it's not just a, I'm sorry, God, are we good now? You ever have that, like with your spouse or family member or friend, like, hey, I'm sorry, can we get over this now? My wife and I, we love it when we do that to each other, like, I'm sorry, but is this really going to affect the whole day? No, you see, with God, it's, it's a, I'm sorry, God, I've bro- there's a breach in the relationship. Payment has to be made. Thank God today that when we're dying, when we're in a moment of pain, we don't have to look back to the temple, but we can look to Jesus Christ. You see, there's a reason that if you go to a church and they bring up a sheep and they slice its neck and blood goes everywhere, like, hey, that's not a good church. You know, you should run, call 911, call David Attenborough on planet Earth and say, hey, animal abuse, this is not good. We don't do that anymore because Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. His blood was shed. Romans 3 says we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Jesus Christ, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his what? His blood to be received by faith. Friends, in those moments where you realize your guilt, in those moments where you realize your shame, when you realize your sin, when you realize your brokenness, we must turn to the cross of Christ. That's it. That's our hope. It's not, okay, I'm going to try to fix this situation and do good things, or I'm going to go hide in a corner from God and self-punish myself. That's not the answer. It's to look only to Jesus Christ. Jonah caught this. He says, God, I'm dying. My life's ebbing away. I look to your temple where the sacrifice can be made, that I could be made right with you. That is our hope this morning. Do you realize your need for grace? Do you realize where to turn for grace? Let's read on. Jonah 2, 8 through 9 says this. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise. Imagine this, that he's in a belly of a well. Uh, well, whale. And he's shouting grateful praise. What? Why is he doing that? Look at what he says. What I vowed I will make good, and I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. There is one place, there is one person that can grant you eternal life. There is one being that can truly forgive you. And it's Almighty God. You know, this has been going around the news a little bit with the coming election, and I'm going to try not to butcher the details so you don't call me fake news and all that. So I'm not going to, I'm going to be kind of vague. Um, But back in uh, 2000, uh, Al Gore and Bush were running to be president. This story has been going around a little bit um, with the coming election, and I'm going to try to be kind of vague so I don't get the details wrong, so you don't call me fake news here. Um, but anyway, well, what happened was is Bush 
got elected as the president. And um, there was a dispute in Florida about maybe a miscount. And so then they were going to recount to see, oh, well, maybe Al Gore should be president. And what happened was there's all these opinions going on. You know, the media would say this. Different people would say, oh, no, it should be this way. He should be president. He should be president. And there's all this debate and all these opinions and talk shows and radios. It was the talk of the country. But it came down to one group of people's decision, the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court said mattered. Didn't matter what everyone else was saying. Didn't matter about anything else. It was, we're the Supreme Court. We make the decision. Guess what? With God, when it comes to receiving grace, when it comes to salvation, he is the only voice that matters because he is the king. He is the creator. Remember that. Why that's so beautiful is because for us, even if our friends don't forgive us, our friends don't give grace to us, our family doesn't give grace to us, there is a place you can go to find grace and salvation, even if your own heart condemns you. You've been there. You, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, God loves me. He wants to give me his grace. The cross was enough, but I'm too wicked. I'm too ugly. What happened to me, you don't even know. What I did, you don't even know. See, the beautiful words of 1 John says, even if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. What does God know that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross so that you could be right with him? This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of grace this is the pursuit that God does. Look at 1 John also says, if we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. You can bank on it. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Look, the beauty of the Bible is it's a pursuit of God's grace that says, hey, if you realize you're a sinner, you're broken, you're not okay. If you call out to God, if you call out to the gospel, to the great sacrifice, you will be saved. It's not, well, it depends on what mood God's in, or it depends on how you do. If you make penance with the church, if you tithe a lot, if you're part of the right political party, then God will be okay. It's no, he will forgive. He will be gracious. And that's exactly what Jonah is saying here. He's saying, I messed up. I was drowning because of my own wrongs. I was banished from the presence of God, but I looked up and said, God, I'm not okay. You are good. You are my salvation. You're the God who makes sacrifice for me. I'm looking at you and what did he say? And God saved me. The whale isn't the villain. It's God's act of saving Jonah from dying. To wrap all this up, the word grace the word grace. Maybe you're not experiencing it a whole lot. Maybe it confuses you. Maybe you're rejecting it. You know, the Bible says from the very beginning, God's been pursuing mankind. We saw that after the fall, God pursued mankind through covenants. God pursued them through prophets and priests. He pursued mankind through events. He ultimately pursued us through his son. But when his son came, he said, hey, you can reject this gift I offer you. And that's what hell is. I know it's, it's an uncomfortable term nowadays. It's hard to imagine a gracious God sending someone to hell. How does that compute? But you see, if you understand it this way, 
Hell is God finally saying, hey, have it your way. Because the Bible tells us God from the day we're born is pursuing and pursuing and pursuing with his grace. The Bible says the law of God is written on our hearts, meaning that that moral compass we have is to tell us, hey, something's not right with you. Something's not right with the world. You need a savior, right? And then God says, I've given my creation to testify to me. He's given creation to then say, hey, look, something made this. This didn't just happen. I mean, how many times have you blown something up and it creates a wristwatch or something like creation? Something made this. And then on top of that, God's given us his word and he's given us his spirit. And then he's given us the church to proclaim, to call out to the world and say, hey, grace is available. God is here. He wants you. God has been pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. And if someone rejects and rejects and rejects till the day they die, God finally says, okay, okay, hell is the absence of me. If you don't want me that much, okay. That's what hell is. The good news is you don't have to go there because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, the pursuit of grace in your life when God proclaims you as a child of him, even if you run, but you're already a child of God, guess what? He pursues. Remember that story Jesus told about the 99 sheep, if one goes away, he pursues as a good shepherd. That's 100% true, and I've felt it in my life. Times where I've messed up, the times where I've ran, the times where I've screwed up. God has pursued and pursued through people, through his church, through his word, through his spirit, through whatever. God pursues. You're never alone if you're a child of God because of his grace. That's what grace is. God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Salvation comes from me. The pursuit of grace in your life is real, my friends. And it's even more real if you're a believer in him. So a few applications before we go. You want to experience his grace? You had a place where it seems kind of stagnant in your walk with God. Grace doesn't mean that much to you. Well, here's a couple thoughts for you. Have you forgotten your need for grace? Have you come to a place where you're like, you know, my life's pretty good. Relying on this. Remember Jonah says, those who look to worthless idols will come to nothing. Are you looking to other things rather than the grace of God? You need his grace. You are broken. You are a sinner. You are not okay. You need him. Have you forgotten your need for grace? Second is, have you forgotten where to turn? Are you trying to just be a good Christian to earn his grace? Are you trying to just punish yourself and seclude yourself to thinking that somehow it'll make it right because you're punishing yourself? No, run to Christ. Have you forgotten where to turn? Third, have you forgotten your promised grace? Are you buying into the lie that the cross is not enough? Are you buying into the lie that his grace is not enough? This morning, be reminded that if God could work grace in the life of Jonah in the depths of the ocean when all was falling apart, when it was all drowning, God could come in and save him. God can save you and he can save me. Maybe you're drowning in life. Maybe you're drowning in sin. There's hope because of the pursuit of grace of God in your life that is made accessible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. May we look to that. I'll close with this phrase by Jerry Bridges in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness. He says, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace.